Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Do you like who you're sitting next to? You can switch real quick if you want to. It's okay. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Um, I love your pastor. I love his family. Uh, I love this church. And I, I know you know this already, but let me just take a second and tell you how much um, your pastor loves you. In our conversations over the years, he's constantly looking to grow and figure out how to serve and pastor you guys better, has a heart for you. So if you don't get to hear it often from outside sources, let me be one to let you know that, um, that you got a good one. Because oftentimes in the 21st century, we can see the headlines of maybe the ones that don't lead so great and the issues uh, that they kind of bring to the forefront. But it's a beautiful thing to see men and women that lead and love people well. So can we give it up for your pastor this morning? So grateful for them. Hey, if you have your Bible, let's jump in. Genesis chapter 28. As he said, from Cleveland, Ohio, I've had the honor and the privilege of pastoring a church up there now for several years, and God has been very kind and very good to us. And we've been on a journey the past couple of years uh, when it comes to uh, what we're going to talk about today, and that's the presence of God. Um, wanting more, that whatever God has for us, uh, we want it. I had a professor in Bible college that made a statement uh, 20 years ago that has stuck with me. He said, heaven is full of people right now realizing what they could have had on earth. And I have always thought, I wanna make sure that whatever God offers me, that I wanna try and lay hold of it, uh, experience it, encounter it, live it out in my life and not get to heaven thinking, I could have had that down there. I could have known you in that way down there. I could have experienced you in that way down there. So we've been on a journey the past couple of years as a church, many of us personally, uh, just saying, God, we want more of you in whatever capacity and way you want to give of yourself to us. We want to be open, our hearts, our posture to receive from you and all that you have. So Genesis chapter 28 is going to give us a platform to work off of, beginning in verse 10 for where we're going to go today. We're picking up on the story of a, of a guy named Jacob. He is the grandson of Abraham, if you're familiar with who that is. And Jacob's a pretty dicey character. He's got a pretty nuanced life. He's a bit of a deceiver, taking advantage of some people. We kind of pick up in the middle of a life that is in shambles as he's running, trying to figure out what his future looks like. And he's about to have a real divine encounter with God. So in Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10, it says this. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. I have yet to see that pillow commercial. <laughs> he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Now, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He was designating that place. He was calling that place something. And it goes on and says, he called it Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. I want to talk this morning for just a few moments from this subject, God's people, God's presence. God's people, God's presence. And let's pray one more time together. Heavenly Father, we're here. Our hearts are open. Our minds are receptive. Help us in this moment. Maybe center our scattered senses. Maybe it's been a busy morning or a busy week or we have a lot coming up in the days ahead. Father, help us be present here today with you and with one another. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. We welcome you. Would you come and be our teacher, our leader, our guide? Would you teach us, lead us, guide us into the truth of your word and of who you are? And God, in this moment, you know everybody here in a way that I don't. You know the things that we tell everybody, and you know the things that we've never told anybody. Father, you know the things that we're most excited about in life, and you know the things that we fear the most. So I just pray that in this moment today that you would encounter us in a unique way. Let us leave this place different than the way that we came in, receiving something from the grace of God, from your spirit, speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It was uh, in the 2004 Olympics in Athens. It was in the rifle shooting competition. It was going into the final shot of the day. Matthew Emmons, who was in first place, considered one of the best shooters in history, uh, really uh, across the world at that time, and maybe, I don't know if there's any, been anybody like him yet. He's getting ready to go into his final shot, and all he needs to do is to just simply hit the target. A mediocre score at best is guaranteeing him gold. He goes in first place. He's ready. And if you know anything about any Olympic athlete, they're, they're at the top of their field. They have everything figured out from diet and nutrition to the way that they can use their body. Now in shooting, it's considered one of the least physically demanding sports of the Olympics, but one of the most mentally straining sports. So these individuals, these men, these women have their, their technique, their craft figured out to a T. They know how to regulate their heart rates, their breathing, their nervous system, the twitch muscles in their fingers, the way that they can see and focus in on things with their vision. They've gotten themselves trained that they pull the trigger in between heartbeats so that they can dial in even more so to the target. Matthew Emmons is there, ready to take his final shot, ready in one sense for what most people believe in this moment, to be a shoo-in for the gold medal. He gets ready, he pulls the trigger, and everybody in a moment looks up at the scoreboard and with confusion begins to look at each other wondering what happened because his name goes from first and drops down to eighth. He himself is maybe confused for just a second. It's everybody's navigating. The announcers are trying to figure out what happened. They realize that he actually ended up hitting the wrong target. He shot one lane over. Not only did he hit in a bad spot on his target, he didn't even hit his target at all. And he realized in that moment that because he focused in on the wrong thing, he didn't pull the trigger and hit the right target, he missed out not only on the gold medal, but on any medal at all. And thinking about that story, I think about the Christian life. 
Now, I've been raised in church. I don't come from a ministry family per se, but we were the kind of family that every time the church doors were open, we were there. For us, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, church all time, every time. Anytime we were there, we were, it was my parents' plan of salvation for us. They're like, if they're not gonna figure out Jesus on their own, we're gonna make sure they're in church as much as they can. God help them. So we were there all the time. And so we were constantly navigating and learning in Bible classes and in schools, all the things to do, good things. And that's where I think a lot of us find ourselves. That Christianity ends up becoming a list of things to do. And we do these things because we are Christians. Again, good things. We have morning devotion time. Maybe it's evening devotion time. We read our Bibles. We pray. We attend church. We serve. We give. We sing. We do certain things and we don't do certain things with our character and the way that we live our life. And those are action-oriented things which are good things that we find instruction in Scripture to do. But the danger is that we can end up thinking we're living a Christian life, hitting the right target by doing those things, not realizing that we're actually missing the main target, the real thing that God desires for us and ultimately from us. For some of us today, hopefully, will be the answer to the question that every once in a while might pop up in your life, in your mind when it comes to this idea of following Jesus, this idea of like, is this it? Like, is this it? Like, I look at the landscape of my life right now and I wonder, is this all that there is? Maybe you got a couple of decades left of life and you're wondering, is this really what I want my faith to be like? Because I, I, I read books of people and I listen to podcasts of other people and I have friends that I have conversations with and it seems like their relationship with God is way different than my relationship with God is. It seems like they're hearing him and they're experiencing him and they're encountering him in ways that I don't. And I'm wondering, is this really, is this it? And in praying late last night for you guys and waking up early praying this morning for you, I think God's resounding answer to that question of is this it is him saying no, there's more. There's actually a lot more. And there's an invitation for wherever you're at in life. Maybe, maybe you're a silver saint. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Or maybe you're fresh to this thing. Wherever you find yourself, if you and I open our hearts and say, God, we want everything you have for us, He'll lead us on a journey of experience and encounter with him in ways that we've never experienced his presence. An openness to seeing and sensing and, and walking with him in ways that we've yet to really encounter and experience. That with God, there is always more. And we see this desire even culturally right now in this moment. Uh, there was something that happened. This is anecdotal at best, but several years ago, I can remember uh, as we would navigate planting the church and pastoring the church that we were in, we felt like a lot of what we were gonna have to deal with was this rise of what they coined new atheism. And it was kind of led by certain uh, authors and speakers, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and the late Christopher Hitchens and these brilliant men that were writing these books and traveling around in these debates and releasing these podcasts. And it seemed to be catching a lot of traction and they were coined the four horsemen or the new atheists. And there was this new rise of atheism that maybe as the church, we were gonna have to figure out how to address. And now that that's not there anymore and that atheism isn't a real thing, that might be part of your story, something you're navigating through right now. But something happened a couple of years ago, and I don't know exactly what it was. It felt like it happened a little bit before COVID, but maybe COVID expedited it. But all of a sudden, where it seemed to be going as people were losing faith in religion and pulling out of church and not having anything to do with God and atheism was on the rise, it like took a hard left turn all of a sudden. 
And now all of a sudden, everybody became open to something. I'm not saying maybe I believe in God, but I believe there's something there. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And maybe it was that year where we were faced with what 2020 was, and anytime you're faced with the fragility of life, you end up wondering, do I really wanna believe there's nothing after this? And people started to sour a little on the idea of atheism, but they weren't ready to jump into Christianity. And so they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring. I'm navigating, I'm open to spirituality. And we can see that even now on uh, social media, there's the rise of something that really is based in a spiritual life, which is this idea of manifesting things. Like I'm gonna imagine and meditate and declare and say and envision and put my intention on, and I'm gonna bring this to reality, I'm gonna manifest this destiny. Well, that has no natural um, congruence to it at all. It's all spiritual. We're trying to grab things that we cannot see and bring them in to what we can see. And so there's this desire culturally, but there's also, I think, this stirring in the church where God is calling his people. There's, there's almost this, this whisper of discontentment, of saying, I don't want this to be it. I want there to be more. Maybe I'm grateful for where God's brought me from, where, where he's brought me to, all the things I have experienced with him, but I'm ready for everything that God actually has for me. And so like Matthew Emmons and his shooting, we can get caught up in the details, the execution. We get so focused on the methods and maybe even the message, meaning that we're trying to get our faith and our doctrine and our theology and our apologetics right and the answer to the world. We get, up in, we get caught up in doing all of the stuff, doing good things for God instead of what I think the primary target is, is learning to be with God. I do a lot of stuff for him. I'm showing up to church for him, I'm giving for him, I'm even singing for him, I'm reading about him, but I'm not actually really ever spending time with him. And God's intent for all of scripture has always been to bring a people to himself, to create a family. That God's presence with God's people has always been the center point of the story. We can see it even back in the Garden of Eden, that it was with Adam and Eve that he walked in the cool of the day, even when they messed up and thought that they were super smart and hid themselves behind the trees that God made. And he was like, I don't know where they are. He still showed up to walk. Where are you? And then we find in Jesus, when he comes, one of the names given him is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Jesus says in John 14 and 15, this whole idea of like, it's better for me to go so that the spirit of God will come and be with you, it's a, it's, a, it's a withness that God has always wanted to be, to be with us and for us to know him in ways that maybe we're not used to knowing him, maybe in ways that we didn't realize that we could know him. And for some of you here today, maybe it's ways that you did know him, but for whatever reason, life has happened and there's been a disconnect and God is kind of drawing you back in and saying, I want you to be familiar with my presence. I've learned that um, acknowledgement can go a long way, especially in marriage. Uh, in two weeks, I'll have been married for 18 years. So I have 18 years, three kids, and uh, I've learned over the years, I'm still learning, that when it comes to when my wife is talking, I need to make sure that I'm acknowledging her in the way she needs to be acknowledged. Because for a long time, what would happen is she would talk and I would try and convince her that I can multitask. So I'd have my phone out and she'd be talking, and I'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. And then she would just stop mid-sentence. And I'd be like, what? And she'd say, I'll wait till you're done. And I was like, babe, I got it. And I was, I was good enough to pick up a couple key words in what she said to repeat back to her. So I could, like, I'm tracking with you. I know where we're going. And she's like, no, I'll wait till you're done. I, I want your attention. 
Have you ever been in a uh, car ride with somebody that you're dating or married to or engaged to and, and you got like a long car ride to go on, maybe four or five hours and, and in the first 10 minutes you guys get in a little disagreement and it can change the whole tone of the car ride? Um, the thing that's interesting about a car ride like that is that the proximity hasn't changed. I have multiple times over those years of being married with my wife gotten into a car ride where it starts off a little dicey there's some tension in the air. But she didn't jump out of the car. She's still 18 inches away from me. It's a matter of how I choose to acknowledge her in that moment that determines the tone of the ride. And many of us have been riding along with God for a long time. We just haven't really acknowledged him. And when you acknowledge somebody in a car ride and you're joking and you're having conversation, lightens the mood, it's much more enjoyable versus some of us when we try and stick to our guns and we're hard-headed and we're stubborn and we're not gonna break the silence, it becomes much more of an enduring ride. I just gotta get through this. Who's gonna break first? Well, a lot of us are like that way with God. We've been riding with him for a long time and never turned our face over to the passenger seat and said, hey, how are you? How's it going? We're bringing our heart to him. We're caught up again in the doing. And the doing is good. The doing is right. It's the, the, the doing is what scripture lays out. It's part of it. But that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is God saying, I wanna be with you. And then the doing is an outflow of that. In Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, there's a, a story that if you've been around church or fairly familiar with maybe. It has to do with two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus shows up to their house with his disciples. And the one sister, Martha, is very focused on getting the things done right. She wants the house in order. She wants to make the food. She wants to, she wants to have a hospitality experience for Jesus and his disciples. A good thing. But she gets frustrated at her lazy sister who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she finally has a moment where she shows up and she's like, Jesus, are you gonna tell her to help me or what? And this is his response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Pause, could I just maybe interject myself or yourself in that? How many things are you worried about right now in your life? How stressed are you? How anxious are you? How long is your to-do list? How out of control does life feel in these moments? How overwhelmed are relational tension, financial stress, planning for your future, something maybe even going on physically in your body, and it weighs heavy on you. Martha is, is having things weighing heavy on her right now. And he says, hey, you're worried, you're upset, you're stressed out about a lot of things, but, but honestly, few things are needed, or indeed only one. And, and Mary, your sister, she's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's the beauty about being in the presence of God and connecting your life to his is nobody and nothing can take that from you. When I know God, the, in the book of Daniel, he writes, those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. You can be strong in suffering. You can be strong when life is really difficult. Have you ever met two people going through almost the exact same situation and one person is just like, like life's never gonna get any better? I don't even know if I'm gonna make it through today. I can't even figure out tomorrow. And the other person's like, oh, we'll be all right. We'll get there. We'll go on, especially in church world. Sometimes it drives you crazy because you look at them and you're like, do you understand what's happening in your life? And they're like, oh, it's, we're fine, brother. It's gonna be great. But there's a difference between somebody that knows their God and has been with him 
and somebody who's been with the problem a lot. And my mind and my presence is the problem and my presence is the stress and my presence is the anxiety. My presence is the broken relationship and my presence keeps going to how much I hate this job. My presence never goes to, God, you are a supplier. God, you are peaceful. God, you will open the right doors. God, you will mend. God, you can heal. You can restore. You can lead me in ways. And presence, it does something. And Jesus looks and he says, hey, Mary, She's chosen the right thing, and this one thing cannot be taken away from her. Mary chose multiple times the better and the more important. And the danger is that if we have a Christianity that only does, we end up having well-informed, a well-informed faith, but unformed followers. So I know all of the right stuff. I know the right answers. I can even, going back to the idea of the apologetics, I could maybe even defend my faith. When somebody says, well, what about this? And I have an answer for that. Or I know how to do all of the right actions. Like I said, we're gonna serve and we're gonna pray and I'm gonna have a devotional life and I'm gonna be a part of a small group and I'm gonna do all the right things. Good things again. But we can live out of a sense of duty and obligation and not out of a sense of intimacy and presence. I do this because I wanna be with him. I was talking to a friend recently who has a lot of things going for them in their life. From the external, things up and to the right, looking great. He's got this issue and he keeps navigating through it and he keeps trying to do the right things but he keeps saying, Pastor, I just, I got this one sin in my life. I got this one sin in my life and I'm like, I hate to break it to you, but you probably have a lot more sins in your life like all of us do but we'll focus on one, okay? I got this one, this one sin in my life and I just want, I want to figure it out. I want to figure it out. But every time we have this conversation, he always goes to the doing. And, and we talked recently and I, I just told him, I said, listen, I get it. And I do think there's a place for that. There's a place for obedience to God and consecration to him and fidelity of just staying faithful to God. But I think what you really need is, is you need a renewed vision of Jesus in your life. You, you need a fresh perspective of the God that wants to be with you, not the God that just wants you to do things for him. And because out of the outflow of that relationship, all of the other stuff begins to fall in line and get in place. It's the presence of God with the people of God that was always central. And Moses knew this. You guys have been using this verse for the past several weeks or referring to it in Exodus chapter 33. The Lord replied, hey, my presence is gonna go with you, Moses, and all the people, and I'm gonna give you rest. And Moses says to him, well, good, because if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send me up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And then he uses this line, what else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth. The presence of God was always to be one of the distinguishing markers of the people of God. That when you walk into a room or when you walk into a lunchroom or when you walk into a classroom or with your, when you're with a group of friends, that you bring with you an acknowledgement from the others to say, there's just something different when she walks in. That there's just something different when he walks in. It changes the language that's used you ever been around those people that are like, oh, we're not gonna tell those jokes anymore because you're here? And there's a temptation for you to feel guilty, like, I don't wanna be the odd Christian. No, 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 baby. You're the carrier of the presence of God. And the environment changes when you walk in. It's a distinguishing marker about you. I don't know why we excel in business. Whenever we give it to John, whenever John puts his hands to it, it just, clients must really like him. He's got that personality. And John's like, no, it's the presence of God. It's a distinguishing marker that I carry. 
It's something that I believe, that I experience, that I know, and because I live out of it, we can see the external outflow of those things. Moses needed the presence of God. So much so where he's like, do not tell us to go anywhere if you do not go with us. I love that about Moses, and I kind of hate it. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't live that way. I'm pretty good at getting life to a rhythm where I'm in control. I'm a pretty good husband, a decent dad. I think I'm a good pastor. I know how to save for retirement, steward finances well, have a good time, develop meaningful relationships and friendships. Like life can go at a pretty good click and rhythm. And I could look back and say, I don't really need God. Like there's nothing in my life that's needed. Moses is like, I'm not even gonna get up and go anywhere if you don't go with me. I get up and go places all the time and don't even acknowledge God. I make decisions in my life oftentimes. This is, this is therapeutic for me right now because I'm not in Ohio, so I can just pour out my soul to you. There's decisions that I make in my life right now where all of a sudden, a two days, two months, two years after the fact, I look back and like, I never really did consult with you, did I? I just made the decision. I, didn't, I lived as though I didn't need any instruction. I didn't need your wisdom. I didn't need any insight. Moses says, I need it. I don't know if I can say that about my life, but I want to. I wanna say that about my life. I want, and maybe this is a good question for you to kind of apply to your context. I want there to be things in my life that I look at and say, I cannot do this if you do not show up. I cannot do this if, if, if your presence isn't with me, if your wisdom isn't with me, if your peace isn't with me, if your guidance isn't with me. I, I, cannot, I cannot do this, it's impossible. And so God, I need you to show up in my life. The problem is, is what the fiery and angsty evangelist Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill once said. He said, today, God is bypassing men, not because they're too ignorant, but because they're too self-sufficient. Brethren, our abilities are our handicaps and our talents our stumbling blocks. We just become too self-sufficient. And in the 21st century, there's an app for everything you need in life. And so even if it's out of my framework of trying to figure out, I'll, I'll watch enough YouTube videos to figure it out. I'll download, I'll download enough apps to kind of get me on the right track. I'll go somewhere, sometimes anywhere, other than the source of all wisdom. I've, I'm speaking for myself, not you. I oftentimes never give God credit for being as smart as he really is. And it's displayed in my inability or my rejection of actually stopping and pausing to ask and acknowledge him. What do you think about this situation? How do you think I should handle this? Give me, give me discernment in what decision needs to be made in this moment. What do you want me to do with my finances? How do you want me to invest? What, does, what business decisions should I be making? I can see the spreadsheet and I can see the 10-year projections and I can see what naturally would make sense. And there's a place for natural wisdom, don't get me wrong, but there should be space where we push back from the desk or we push back from parenting or we push back from schoolwork, whatever it might be, or we push back from the relationship and we say, I need you. What, what do you have to say? What are you speaking? Where are you leading? And I need to discern with your presence what's next in my life. And, and listen, I'm not saying when we talk about the presence of God that everything is experiential. 
I'm not talking about you and I living 24 seven with goosebumps and, and seeing visions left and right and gold dust flying out of the ceiling. I'm not, I'm not talking about like wild experiences like that. But I would say this, I do think that our lives shouldn't be void from moments where we sense the tangible presence of God where you are praying or you are driving and you're meditating on the scripture, you're in the middle of a really beautiful conversation with your spouse or a friend and it just feels like sacred ground and you're like, man, God, God is in this place. God is here. And so when we're talking about living with the presence of God, there are other physical moments where you and I might sense something or, or even audibly hear something or see something. Sure, if God wants to lead in those ways, great. But I'm just talking about living with an acknowledged moment that, that we live and walk on holy and sacred ground because God is everywhere and God is with us. And so I don't wanna live my life calloused and, and desensitized to your spirit. As a, a dad with kids, um, I love getting gifts for them. I'll pick them up a couple of things on the way home so that they can have a gift to open, but I love Christmas morning. I have a 13-year-old a daughter, five-year-old son, three-year-old daughter. And so they love Christmas morning, ripping open the gifts. And my wife is an incredible gift giver. She like goes out of her way, plans for it to the details. Like I wake up on Christmas morning, and I'm like, how many credit cards are we in debt right now because of what's out here? But she does a great job getting gifts. And, and the Christmas morning, they're ripping them open. And it's one of those moments where after every gift, they're thanking mom. And mom has to be like, your dad helped too. And they're like, oh yeah, thanks dad. They're like, it's fine, no worries. But I love, I love giving him gifts, I love it. And my five-year-old son, his name is Bear, he, he loves getting gifts and he loves asking for things. And it's beginning to change the older that he gets, but there's still a primary ask that he has above wanting an ask for things. He comes to me oftentimes and one of his big asks and requests as a five-year-old is, Dad, tonight? And he pauses, tonight? Can we make a big bed? And now a big bed is we take two twin mattresses and we put them on the floor in his room, put a bunch of blankets, pillows, and if it's a really good night, we'll get a bunch of snacks together, bring a TV into the room, watch a couple episodes of something, and he loves having a big bed with dad. He loves the idea of spending time together. He'll ask anytime, even if it's a weeknight, and I'm like, buddy, I gotta wake up in the morning, and he has a go-to line whenever I say that. He says, dad, I'll let you get up and go to work tomorrow, don't worry. <laughs> just, let's just do a big bed, let's just do a big bed. Because for him at five, what does he want more than gifts? He wants presence with his dad. He wants time to be spent. And listen, there are some parents in here right now, and your kids are grown up, and you know that feeling, how much you would love to just be able to go back and have that presence, that time that is spent with your children. And I would just say the way that we feel that naturally, maybe even an angst, that, that pain or even that desire and that enjoyment, I think that's just a, a microcosm of what the father feels, of saying, I want my kids to be with me. I'd love for them to acknowledge me. I couldn't imagine coming home every day after work and none of my kids ever saying hi to me. And some of us in this room, we haven't said, hey dad, for a long time. We believe in him, we know about him. We've never just paused to look up and just say, hey, how are you? Hey, I wanna acknowledge you in this moment. Sorry for taking things for granted. Sorry for the moments that I've bypassed you. I really do need you. 
Would you help rekindle some of the affections in my heart for you? Would you warm my emotions and my sensitivity back to your spirit? Presence matters. Gifts are good. What God can do for us is good. The gifts that he gives us is good. Presence is better. God is so much more important. Okay, so as we close, how do we do this? How do we do it? Okay, Noah, it sounds good. Thanks for coming in from Cleveland, Ohio to tell us that we need to acknowledge the presence of God. What does that even mean? That sounds so out there. It sounds so ethereal. Well, let me just give you two steps, really tangible takeaways from our time together this morning. Number one would be this, is I think there's a season and a time right now where it's important to have a place. That would be the first one, to have a place. Circling back to Genesis chapter 28 as we close, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Jacob is headed to a location. He's going somewhere. And then scripture says he ends up at a certain place. Now it was customary throughout the ancient world and Near Eastern and even in the classical world for a devotee of a religion or a belief system to sleep in maybe the sacred precincts of a temple in order to kind of induce the deity to reveal its will. So people would show up to temples for whatever gods they were serving and they would spend the night there. They'd find a corner, they'd find a location in the hopes that they would stir and conjure up this acknowledgement of their deity who would then begin to speak to him. The thing was, those were always designated places. What throws Jacob for a loop in this moment is that he's just in a very natural, normal, probably field or desert with a rock underneath his head. And this is where God chooses to reveal himself to him. And I would think this, maybe there's some very natural places in your life right now that you think God would never meet me here and God is saying, that is gonna be a sacred place. That, that drive to work that you're just so used to going to and commuting to in this next season with the acknowledgement and the posture of your heart, that's gonna be a sacred place. That, that naming a place for you, see, a hundred years ago, the Celtic Christians coined this phrase, they called it the thin place. And the thin place for them was where it just seemed like, like heaven and earth met and, and that presence was just a little bit thinner than anywhere else. And is God omnipresent? Is God always with us? Yes, of course. That's good theological teaching right, now, right there. God is everywhere all the time. He's with us. But I do think there's something about saying and designating a place and saying, that's my spot to meet with God. Can you pray anytime? Of course. Should you? Absolutely. Can you acknowledge God anywhere? Should you? Of course. Absolutely. But when I designate a place, especially in the 21st century where our lives are so busy, and there's so much that crowds our time and crowds our environments, the fact that we can get into bed and still take uh, work with us via our phone and email, that we can go to the bathroom, we don't have to go to the bathroom in peace, I can know what's going on with every sports team because I can just scroll right there where I'm doing what I need to do. Then that I can, I can, my time with my kids outside on the beautiful summer day can go ahead and be distracted because there's a million different things that are coming at me that I'm wrestling with in my mind. We're just not good at having designated spaces anymore. Corey Ten Boom said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. The devil's really good at distracting us. So that's why I think there's something beautiful about reclaiming sacred spaces, dedicating a spot. And, and here's a spot that you might have. For you, it might be waking up a little bit earlier in the morning before the kids get up, and it's the right side of the couch where toys are usually cluttered and there's crumbled up goldfish and you just gotta wipe that away and you're saying, for this next season, I'm declaring this is my thin place. God, I'm gonna choose to meet you here. 
For you, it is the commute, it's the car ride. Might as well make it your car because half of you make it a concert anyways as you're driving, you're belting out your favorite songs and you're going at it. Why not just shut off the radio and say, God, this is, this is my thin place. This is my sacred moment with you. For some of you, it's a place that you take a walk to and you're gonna leave your phone at home and you're just gonna walk for 10, 15 minutes and God, I'm gonna meet you in this place. So I think there's something about having a place. Jacob all of a sudden realized God is in this place. I didn't even realize it. And there are so many places that God is at in our life, to be honest, we just don't realize it. I was there, I was there, I was waiting there, I was hoping you'd acknowledge me there, I was hoping you'd invite me into this moment right here. I, I'm, th- I'm, I'm there, it's just will you designate it as a moment to engage with me? So finding a thin place in your life. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. An acknowledgement and sensitivity to the presence and the person of Jesus, the presence of God, the spirit of God who is with us at all times. And to name that thing like Jacob did, it was called Luz, but, but Jacob says, no, 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 this is, this is different. I'm gonna call this Bethel. This is my thin place. I'm gonna name a place. And then the second thing is, I'm just gonna begin to practice the presence of God. I'm gonna have a place, and then I'm gonna begin to practice the presence of God. And that, depending on your familiarity or your framework, that might sound a little weird to you, like how do you practice the presence of God? And there was a a spiritual writer, Brother Lawrence, who penned a book called Practicing the Presence of God, and he just talks about living a life of constant acknowledgement before God. And there's things that we can do that position us, some of the good things that we just talked about that we do with the right heart and the posture and awareness to acknowledge God. I'll close with this story and then we'll go through three quick practices together. Um, uh, My oldest was going through a a really difficult season in life and we exasperated every natural means that we knew as parents to try to figure out what was going on and to fix it and nothing was getting any better. And and as a parent, if if you're a parent, you know when you feel like you have no control with your kids, it's heartbreaking. And you want, you would give anything to fix it. And so, of course, we were praying through that season. And then one night, I just showed up to her room. I, I, was, I was done. I was exasperated. I was like, I don't know what else to do. God, we need you to move. So I walked in her room, and I, I looked at her. I said, hey, we're going to do something for the next several weeks, this next season. I don't know how long. I don't know how short. But we're going to start. And she's like, okay. I said, we're going we're gonna to practice the presence of God together. She's like, what does that mean? And I was like, we're just going to sit down every night before bedtime on your, floor, on your bedroom floor. I'm gonna pull up on my iPad a, a little bit longer of a worship song, one of those seven, 10, 10 minute long worship songs. And we're gonna play it and here's what I want you to do. You and I are gonna sit here, we're gonna close our eyes and we're just gonna open up our heart and just say, God, is there anything you wanna say to me? We wanna be here with you right now. And we're just gonna spend time being aware of God. She's like, all right. So we'd do it. Every night we'd sit there, eyes closed. We'd sit in front of each other on the floor. Our hands are open, just open up with a simple prayer. And then we'd just let worship music play and we would just listen internally and we'd just be together and then we'd be with God. And every time afterwards, I would ask her as we close, I'd say, hey, did you, did you sense anything? Feel like maybe God was saying anything to your heart or your mind? Every night, every, for weeks, nope, nope, nope. And I was like, oh, all right. But what happened in those moments was maybe she wasn't necessarily encountering God in a way, but as a parent in that moment with her, I was. 
And I was getting a vision and I felt like God was speaking to me about things he was gonna begin to do in her life to bring her out of where she was. And he gave me a picture of something I could grab a hold of as we practiced the presence of God. And in the weeks and in the months to come, he fulfilled and and was faithful to everything he said in those moments. And here's the thing, it's amazing, it's beautiful. I know God is good, but the question is, would I have missed out on what God had if I wouldn't have taken time to practice his presence? That there are moments where sometimes we give in too much to the sovereignty of God and think, well, if he's gonna wanna do it, he's gonna make it happen. I just don't know if that's always the case. I think there are moments where God waits for us to invite him in and acknowledge him so that he can, what the Bible says, partner with us in life to see what happens. Are there times that God moves sovereignly and does absolutely 100%? And there are other times where God waits. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? I'm waiting for you to walk in the cool of the garden with me. And so we find a place and then we pick up a practice. And here's three simple things, silence, prayer, and worship that you can begin to do. Prayer and worship are probably very familiar. Silence, especially for us in the West, is a little hard, a little challenging. And so I would encourage you in this next season, if you're like, what did you get from church today? I don't remember the guy's name, his pants were too short, but all I remember was that he said this, I should start every morning with a couple minutes of silence in a place that I designate to meet with God. And so we're gonna practice that. We were a little, we got one minute, one minute. We're gonna do just a minute of silence. Then we're just gonna take a second to pray. And then we're just gonna close with, with just a, a short worship song together. But I, I wanna do this corporately where we take a moment of silence. So just close your eyes. There's an ancient Christian posture where we hold our hands open like this. Oftentimes we lift our hands in, in worship. It's the same thing with prayer. As you're sitting there, just hold your hands out before you with your eyes closed. This is simply just a physical posture to say, God, here I am to give you what's in my life. And here I am also to receive whatever you have for me. And so we're gonna take one minute. I'm gonna, I'll watch the timer. We're gonna take a minute because one of the greatest misnomers is that on church on Sundays, that you might think the most important thing you hear would come from a worship leader's mouth or a preacher's mouth, when in reality, the most important words that you and I will hear on a Sunday come from the Holy Spirit. And so we wanna give a moment to say, God, what do you wanna say to me? And so let's take a minute and just ask that. God, what is it you need to say to us? And then after you spend, I would encourage at least two minutes of silence in the morning to just start your day quiet, listening. Then you can just transition into a moment of prayer. And here's another misnomer, is that we oftentimes treat prayer like a dialogue, or or sorry, like a monologue, when it should be a dialogue, where, where we're the ones simply just feeling like we always have to talk and we're not giving God any time 
to, to speak back and we are not really listening. And, and maybe for some of us, this season of prayer actually doesn't have to do at all with you saying anything. It just has to do with you listening more and saying, God, I wanna hear. But you'll go into to a moment of prayer. So we start off with a moment of silence in the morning. God, I wanna settle my heart, my scattered senses, my mind. I know a lot's coming on uh, the schedule today or what's happened yesterday, but I wanna start quiet. And then I'm gonna pray. And Father, I wanna invite you in. I wanna acknowledge you in this moment that you're with me and that you're kind and that you're good and that you're wise and that you're powerful and that you're present. And I thank you that you have great patience with me. I thank you that you are long-suffering. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that I have this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Would you just help me see and to seize those right opportunities? God, let me be a peace bringer wherever I go. Let me be one that represents the kingdom well. And Father, I wanna hear you and know you in all the ways that you wanna make yourself available. So this morning, I'm just starting off with silence to listen and I'm praying to just simply acknowledge, be with me in all of my business dealings at school and my relationships as I'm taking care of the kids, whatever it might be. God, would you be with me? And you're gonna pray and then you're gonna pray uh, for anything that specifically that you might have on your heart. And then I'm just a big fan of always ending in worship that you would just take a moment and worship is one of the most intimate things that we can do with God as we sing to him and we sing about him. So I'm gonna invite you to just at this moment stand to your feet right now as we get ready to close. And they're gonna lead us in just a minute of worship and we're gonna sing to redirect our focus, making sure that we leave this place today with our eyes fixated, not on the stage, but upwards towards God. And so Father, in this moment, we invite you into this place. We know that you're already here, but our invitation is simply just one of acknowledgement. Would you move in our hearts, seal things in us that we've heard? Well, whatever it is that we needed today, let us take with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church Podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit trademark.church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and we'll see you soon.